Hey there, thanks for listening. I'm Nick Yurasiva, the Dungeon Master of Tales of the Voidfarer. Real quick, I'm coming to you from the future to let you know that while this is the canonical start of our adventure, the beginning of each chapter also serves as a great jumping on point. So if you'd like to get caught up faster or want to skip to a point where our audio quality improves a bit around chapter three, there's no shame in going that route. Or by all means, continue onward from here, the path of the truly dedicated. In either case, enjoy the show. The soft, marshy ground squelches beneath your feet with every step. The faint haze that lingers low on the forest floor gives the Lurkwood, in northwest Faerun, an air of mystery even during this bright, sunny day. Twisted, ancient trees tower overhead, blocking all but a handful of beams of the mid-morning sun, which serves just enough to illuminate three figures slowly trekking their way through the dense forest. The first figure, a human woman, a mane of red hair held back with various ornaments and braids, and dressed in hides and furs, is leading the other two through the winding terrain. She cuts down a bit of underbrush with a machete made of the sharpened jawbone of some gargantuan creature. Come, we are not far from Yalu's domain. Stay close to me. Quicksand is common here, the woman says as she leads you down a hill covered in gnarled roots before getting to the bottom where the ground is noticeably more marshy. The next figure in the line is a woman with silky dark hair, partially concealed by a hood of her emerald green cloak. A pale brown barn owl perches on her shoulder as she follows the first woman down the hill. This is Hana Miyakuchi, your colleague and expedition partner. She adjusts her pack, which is overflowing with maps and tomes, as she follows your guide down the slope. Thank you, Freak. Marco is prone to bumbling into such things, she says. The owl chirps as if to concur. Bringing up the rear is you a wizard, archaeologist, and mastermind of this excursion, Marco Asterio. Why don't you describe what he looks like? Marco Asterio is a tall and lanky man. He has sandy blonde hair and a matching colored beard, both of which are very messy and matted in sort of look um, of a person who typically has a very rushed job taking care of himself. He is currently wearing a set of traveling clothes, while he has a backpack with a variety of trinkets dangling off of the side of it. And Hannah continues to kind of jab at you, saying, It wouldn't be the first time you got yourself into trouble on these expeditions, huh, Marco? You call them trouble. I say that it's just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Adventure waiting to happen. Ah, uh, I see. Well, I guess it did help you find that trinket. She kind of points to the crystal that's dangling on a cord around your neck. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, this, I got box over here, cube over here. I mean, I'm just loaded down with all of them. But this one, of course, as he indicates to the uh, crystal around his neck, is my prized possession. And it only took you wandering off the expedition for three days for you to find it. I wasn't gone that long. It wasn't three days. It was two and a half. You guys continue walking for what is nearly another hour before arriving in a clearing deep in the heart of the Lurkwood. A circle of moss-covered stone cairns sits at the base of a massive gnarled tree. Tribute, in the form of fruits and flowers, all in various stages of decay, neatly folded pelts, antlers, bundles of meat, and the occasional glimmer of a gemstone or two lie in the center of these cairns. Looking up, you see looming in the branches of this ancient tree the bow of a ruined ship. Long reclaimed by the tree and surrounding forest, its wood hull covered with shelf fungi, other mushrooms, and thick stringy moss that dangles towards the forest floor. 
It is apparent why the Uthgart call it the skyfish. A central mast extends upward among the branches of the tree, spokes extending from the back of the mast with the tattered remains of a dorsal fin-like sail. Similar boom masts extend from the port and starboard hulls, resembling pectoral fins, and two large portholes on either side of the bow resemble bulging eyes. This design seems familiar to you. You've seen illustrations of similar vessels in your tome, Sailing the Sea of Stars. Marco, his eyes are just wide as can be of just unbridled enthusiasm. Um, He throws off his backpack and starts just rifling through his stuff, just like throwing clothes and other various traveling supplies all over the ground to dig out a couple of books. The first one, the book that you just mentioned before, as well as a geography book to kind of study and see where the nearest, like, body of water could even be, trying to research this as quickly as he can. Sure. In fact, you would know that you are hundreds of miles from the nearest body of water, at least a body of water large enough to house a ship of this size. Hannah seems to see what you're doing, and she's like looking up amazed at the ship as well. And she says, well, it's definitely come from the sky. It doesn't look like a Halruin skyship, though. There doesn't seem to be any evidence of a balloon. And Hannah actually begins wandering closer to the tree, but Frigg is going to reach out and grab her shoulder and stop her. Hannah looks back inquisitively, and Freak drops to her knees in front of the circle of Cairns, and she then just sits there quietly. And Hannah is, like, awkwardly standing by. Another few moments pass before she looks up and says, Yalu has judged you worthy. You may approach. I will wait here. Um, Marco is just basically going to nod and then very quickly gather up his items and try to make his way onto the ship. Yeah. Hannah's going to do the same. The ancient tree is covered with vines. Go ahead and make an athletics check for me. All right. This this is not going to end well. <laughs> All right. So that is a solid five. <laughs> yeah. You find the footholds, but the surface is slippery and you're not satisfied with the handholds as your hands and feet begin to slip. Hannah, on the other hand, has no problems going up at all. And after a moment of letting you struggle, you feel something hit your shoulder as she has dropped a hemp rope down to you. Marco is just going to swallow his pride, grab the rope and start climbing. And she helps you up with a smirk on her face. As you approach the structure, you see that it's only the fore half of the ship, leaving the below decks exposed where the hull fractured off, allowing you guys to clamber up directly into the shadowy hold of the ship. As you begin inching closer, Hannah stops you and goes, wait. She closes her eyes and extends her hand. A faint blue wispy energy emanates from her fingertips, undulating and pulsing like a vapor. She concentrates for a moment. There's definitely magic. Lots of it. Strong transmutation, with some conjuration and evocation. No abjuration, though, so nothing should be warded or trapped. She waves her hand again, speaking an incantation in Draconic, conjuring four spectral paper lanterns in midair, kind of hang around, illuminating the interior. And then she turns to you and says, I'd still be careful, though. Oh, you know me. I am the most careful person that you could come across. I do know you, and you're a lot of things. Careful is not one of them. Marco's just going to kind of like roll his eyes in a playful sort of way and then start playing around in the room, start investigating. Okay. You see that the interior walls of the ship have long since deteriorated, leaving not much more than like the skeletal remains of the prior structures. A room towards the bow of the ship catches your attention. The bulging eye-like portholes near the bow both look into this room. A simple wooden throne sits at the center, facing the fore of the ship. 
An erased platform sits at the very front, with a cylindrical pedestal about four feet tall at its center. Dozens of precisely etched grooves radiate from the throne across the floor in all directions. The light from Hannah's paper lanterns glints off of a reflective crystalline material that's inlaid into the grooves. And as you walk in, Hannah looks around and goes, The chair is the source of the powerful transmutation magic. It looks like this room is really the only interesting part left of this ship. I'm going to send Tashi to look for the other fragment if you're good here. Oh yes, um, by all means. She nods and she sits down right outside the room. She sits down cross-legged and takes the owl off her shoulder and kind of strokes the side of its head. And then she tosses it out the back of the ship and it takes off flying. And you see her eyes just go white. And you would know now, uh, while she's doing this, she can't hear or see you. All right, I guess I'm going to start working on this then. So he's really drawn to the chair in particular, Mm -hmm. as well as the etchings. Would they also match the etchings that are in his box? They look similar. The etchings are not writings. They seem to be channels. And while they seem to be just as precise as the markings across the chest you found on that dig so long ago, it is not writing. But as you lean forward and investigate the chair, the crystal dangling around your neck begins to glow. And with it, the substance inlaid in the grooves of the chair and the floor glow as well. The same dull red-orange glow. This is the same glow that I would get whenever I'm around fire, right? Similar. Yeah, it's it's very similar. With this, Marco's going to become very inquisitive. Eyes still just, like, wide with study. He's now currently in investigation mode. He's going to start, like, trying to, like, move his focus toward the areas where it's starting to, like, animate. Yeah, and as you move the crystal closer to these grooves, the grooves seem to react. Go ahead and make an investigation check for me. All right. That is a 23. Yeah, as you move and get closer, the light seems to crawl along these lines up to this pedestal, and all the grooves up the side of the cylindrical pedestal alight as well. Marco is going to start investigating the pedestal, placing his hands on it, yeah. checking the crystal, just anything he can do that could potentially get this thing going. Sure. And you step up to the pedestal, stepping up onto the raised platform, and you can see that the grooves have come up the side of the cylindrical pedestal and across the top and spiral into a single focal point, which is a hole, about the same size as the crystal around your neck. He's going to look over to Hannah first and just like, Hannah? Uh, Hannah, are you are you back yet? There's no response. I'm alright now. So Marco is going to weigh whether or not he should do what Han has always warned him not to do. <laughs> Ultimately, the decision is always to do the thing, so... <laughs> so you reach out your crystal, and you insert it into the hole. And as soon as you do that, faint orange-red glow goes white and bright... And it starts glowing and glowing until there's a white flash that envelops your vision. And then Marco is gone. Hannah is sitting there. Her eyes still glazed over goes, looks like the aft end of the ship is only a few hundred feet away. Her eyes kind of reverting back to normal. Shouldn't be too hard to get. Marco? She looks around to see the empty room, the glowing patterns on the floor and walls slowly fading. Shit. Marco, you feel a lurch beneath your feet. You struggle to recover your vision from the bright flash of the light. And as your vision begins to return, the room is now dark. Whatever happened must have dispelled Hannah's lanterns or something. Hannah, Hannah, could you put the lanterns back up? I'm, uh, I'm having a bit of a hard time here. There's no response. 
And as your eyes adjust, you see the room you were standing in before, the dais, the pedestal. But as you begin to observe, you notice things are different. The ship is still in disarray, but there's no more of the overgrown vegetation that was creeping into the ship like before. And as you turn, you see that the throne is now gone, and the aft end of the ship is there. What was once broken away is now returned, and you notice that the whole ship seems to be listing to one side more so than it was when it was in the tree. And more importantly, you don't see Hannah, and you begin to figure out why. You're not in the same ship. It's still a tradesman, same make of ship, but this is a different ship. Marco is going to get out his water skin, like wash his eyes to make sure he's not elucidating. Looks around, opens up his book, reads about tradesmen again, and then closes it and starts to realize the weight is starting to come onto him. Like, oh my god, this this is what's happening. So he's going to start just kind of like stumble out of the ship. Canna? Frag? Anybody? Are y'all here? Hello? Yeah, you walk down and there's a, the hall has split on one side and you step out into what appears to be a ship graveyard. You see the remains of broken ships laying about and stacked up on one another. And you see that this yard is on the edge of what appears to be a small bustling town. The sun, still low on the horizon in the morning, warms your face. However, you immediately notice the sky is black, turning to put the sun behind you to take in your surroundings, you immediately notice that a solid third of the sky, with plenty of it still below the horizon, is Saloon, the moon of Toril. And beyond that, on the horizon of the moon, is Toril itself, nothing more than a white and blue disc, no larger than a fist extended at an arm's length. As anybody would be, Marco is currently awestruck, as he is kind of stumbling around at this point, trying to grasp the situation he's in and as you take a few steps out onto the street to get a better look you notice that all walks of life are passing you on the street going about their morning routine you see humans and elves and dwarves halflings and gnomes the occasional tiefling and dragonborn but they are also accompanied by beings the likes of which you have never seen a gaggle of a dozen halfling-sized penguin folk hurriedly waddle past all squawking and carrying on in their own language a six-foot-tall mantis-like three cream is pushing a cart loaded with strange fruits you don't recognize. And three massive eight-foot-tall hippo people are laughing and carrying on just across the square. You see movement in the peripheral and turn in time to see an eight-foot-wide spherical body of a beholder floating from the entrance of a tavern only a couple dozen feet away. It points one of its ten eye stalks at a wooden sign and telekinetically flips it over to read open. It catches your eye with its large central one and stretches its maw of jagged pointed teeth into a wide crooked smile. Good morning, it says, before turning and floating back inside, humming to itself cheerfully. You could feel yourself on the verge of shock, and you struggle to process this town nestled on an asteroid just outside the atmosphere of the world you call home. And it is then you notice the dozens of ships floating in the void coming and going from the asteroid's docks. Marco is going to drop to his knees and just have this big smile on his face as he just screams out, I knew it! I knew it! I was right! A couple of people look at you strangely and kind of give you a wide berth.
everybody, my name is Nick Yurisiva, your Dungeon Master extraordinaire. You know, is Dungeon Master really the right term if the adventure is going to be mostly set on a ship in space? I don't know. We'll workshop it. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to our very first episode of Tales of the Voidfarer, our D&D 5th edition adventure inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. This is our first major foray into podcasting for most of us, so we're super appreciative of you bearing with us as we figure all this crazy stuff out together. Before we jump into things and meet the rest of the crew, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Rachel Guzak, 8BitRibbit on Twitter and Tumblr for doing our awesome character art. Definitely go check her out. Also shout out to our producer Tom Goldthwaite for our amazing original theme song. Uh, he's done some other cool stuff too uh, that you'll be able to hear in future episodes. Also, the additional music is provided by purple-planet.com. Lastly, if you're listening to this episode, that means there should be two more episodes for you to listen to right now. After that, you can expect new episodes every Tuesday, starting with episode four on Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for regular updates. Now, I've talked way too much, so let's jump into things and meet the rest of the crew. Take it away, past me. Hey, everybody. My name is Nick Yurisiva, and I'll be your dungeon master, and I'm joined by Fiona. Hi. Saker. Hey. And Tanner. Hello. So uh, if you guys just want to introduce yourselves real quick. Sure. Can I just say, first off, I love the way we each said hello. We had Fiona's hi, very sweet. We had my hey, playful. We had Tanner's hello, serious. My name is Saker. <laughs> uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling real good about this I'm already. I'm setting the tone. That's what we do. Um, my name is Saker. Uh, I have a nerdcore band called 2D6. I have another podcast called It's All Been Done, a Barenaked Ladies podcast that is totally irrelevant in this setting. Uh, but I am a <laughs> it's D&D. great, though. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm a D&D nerd, and I'm, uh, I'm psyched to, uh, to get role-playing here. Awesome. So, Fiona, who the hell are you? Uh, my name is Fiona L.F. Kelly. I am one of the co-founders of Project Derailed, and I write stuff for Project Derailed and the Mary Sue and in random places around the internet. And I also worked on Onyx Path Publishing's latest edition of Aberrant. So that's my claim to nerd fame here. Neat. And Tanner? Hello, everybody. I'm Tanner Bivens. I am a content creator with Project Derailed, and I'm also the host of the YouTube show Critter Miss that you can find on Project Derailed. And like I said before, I'm Nick Yurisiva, and I'll be your dungeon master. Uh, I am also one of the co-founders of Project Derailed. And uh, thanks for joining us for this crazy little adventure that you will be shoved into your ear holes, I guess. So way to sell it, Nick. Way to sell it. (laughs) (laughs) We will be embarking on together. Sure. No, shoved into your ear holes. (laughs) That's how you want to sell it. Right. I'm just calling it what it is. Uh, (laughs) All right. So without further ado, we'll jump back into this adventure. You all find yourself in the hold of a hammer ship called the Stoic Gondolier, destined for a crystal sphere far away from where any of you have been. You all got on at the Rock of Brawl in Realm Space and have already endured 10 days of a 22-day journey. The ship passed into the Phlogiston, this strange realm that exists between the crystal spheres of individual solar systems. The cargo hold is dark and cramped, illuminated only by a handful of lanterns inlaid with glowing blue crystals instead of an open flame. 
The air is filled with a faint, multicolor, odorless haze that gives the dim hold a fantastical feeling as the haze shifts from dull pinks, oranges, blues, greens, and the whole spectrum of colors with no discernible pattern. You know that this is the phlogiston, a mysterious substance that permeates all space between the crystal spheres of every system of worlds. It's also the reason you were strictly informed not to light any open flame, as the phlogiston is highly flammable. A warning that was not heeded by an old stubborn mage who went up on the deck to smoke his pipe on the second day of the journey. He blew himself, along with one crew member, up and injuring two others and dealing significant damage to the ship, the explosion happening the minute he struck his tinder stick. After that moment, all passengers on this voyage have lost upper deck privileges, leading you all to be cramped in this hold. The passengers of the hold are a variety of peoples, all doing their best to carve out a comfortable place to live amongst the cargo and other passengers. Marco, this was not what you were expecting when you first decided to join this voyage after finding yourself stranded on the asteroid town of the Rock of Brawl. As you sit with your back wedged in a corner, keeping yourself out of the way of all these other strange people, you see that there is a bronze-scaled dragonborn sitting across the hold from you. He positioned himself under one of these blue glowing lamps and is poring over notes and books and maps. You see a few other people. You see what appears to be a young boy sitting on a barrel that's in a cluster of cargo in the middle of the hold, just kind of ob observing everything. Looks rough, uh, probably in his early teens. You see a, a woman with a mane of red hair leaning against the wall near where the dragonborn is sitting with all of his notes. Across the way, you see a dwarven woman who seems to be scribbling in a book, keeping to herself as she has the last few days of the journey. A large, broad-shouldered half-orc is sleeping uh, against the one wall, tilting precariously to one side, uh, kind of looming over a small penguin person who seems to be concerned that this half-orc will slump over onto them at any given moment. Beyond them, you see a trio that have been kind of sitting close together, a female tabaxi, white-gray, like almost silvery fur with black spots, has been staving off the boredom in any way that she can. Sitting next to her is a human in gleaming plate mail who is carrying on a loud conversation with a shady-looking gnome that has a lute on his back. In the far corner, you also see, taking up probably a third of that edge of the hold, a hulking ogre who is none too happy about being confined to the hold. Next to him is a full-blooded orc who seems to be trying his best to console his very large upset friend. So Marco, taking all this in, after several days of this voyage, slowly getting acclimated with the space and all the people around you, what is it that you do? Well, I'm assuming that I have at this point I have poured over my books more than enough considering I've been trying to pass the time. So at this point, to just as a means of alleviating my own boredom cramped in the small confines, I think I'm going to try to converse a little bit with my fellow uh, people trapped below deck. Sure. I guess the first one I would logically go to would be the bronze dragonborn directly in front of me. You're kind of wedged against some of the cargo on the one side of the hold, and he is sitting against the wall on the other side. You guys are about, like, five feet apart across the gap that kind of runs up and down the center of the hold. He doesn't seem to pay you any mind as you initially approach, seemingly engrossed in his notes. 
Excuse me, friend, um, I couldn't help but notice that you were quite invested in whatever it is you're studying right now. May I ask, what is it that you're looking into? Oh, um, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I tend to get lost in my notes, he says as he looks up. And you can see that he's wearing robes that seem to be similar to vestments. And you can see what looks like the edge of a holy symbol kind of tucked in the folds. And he says, I was just reviewing many of the findings that have come back from Karat space, our destination. I see. Um, I understand myself. I can often get lost in my notes and my work. Um, I'm, I'm Marco, by the way. Marco Astorio. Ah, another scholar, I see. Well, pleasure to make your acquaintance. My name is Rodix Kojakarta. Rodix Kojakarta. That is correct. It's a pleasure to meet you. What are the you... pleasure is all mine. It's always a pleasure to meet another scholar. So, um, what what is your field of expertise, your field of study? Well, I'm an anthropologist. I study people and places and their cultures. I see. Very fascinating. Hmm. Have you ever potentially been to Turil? I have in passing, but from what I understand, it's kind of a backwater place that is yet to fully embrace the full potential of, that is... Void travel. I see. So you you keep your research to those who have encountered space travel. As most do. Few have the patience to deal with groundlings and those that have yet to be enlightened to the fullest potential of magic and technology. Most of groundlings are terribly ignorant. Marco is going to nod and say, Well, it was a pleasure making your acquaintance, but I would like to make my rounds a little bit. I'm certain that we will talk again very soon. I look forward to it. Marco, as you kind of go to step away, you feel like a faint hum, like almost like a vibration or like a warmth coming from your pocket. And you go and feel it, and it is your metal cube. Hmm. I look at the... Is the metal cube look any different than what it did before? Is it just vibrating? It seems to like have like a slight resonance to it. It doesn't look any different. Um. Does it seem to be... Growing stronger or weaker as I move towards, like, certain parts of the ship? Uh, make an investigation check. Okay, then. Fiona, as you sit here next to this dragonborn, you see that this strange, scruffy-looking human uh, has come and stand up and had this conversation, has now, like, stopped, pulled something out of his pocket, looking at it inquisitively, and starting to take steps in certain directions with a puzzled expression on his face. I watch him cautiously, thinking he's about to, I don't know, like, light a match or do something crazy. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch him, and if he gets out of my sight, maybe tail him a little bit. And why don't you describe your character for us? Um, my character is a gith yankee. She's about 5'5", five five, kind of thin, but, like, clearly muscular. Uh, she has, like, sickly yellowish skin long red hair that she wears half up, black eyes and like all Gith Yankee, she has a Voldemort nose uh, <laughs> and uh, chain mail covers her just street clothes I rolled a 15 by the way yeah, you do notice that it seems to get stronger and as you're standing in the middle of this hold here it seems to get stronger when you step closer to the wall that the Dragonborn is sitting on specifically closer to this Gith Yankee woman and it also seems to grow a little bit stronger when you step in the opposite direction from her against the opposite wall towards where this large half-orc is 
sleeping, and this tiny penguin person is sitting on. So, and Saker, you see this human kind of standing here in the yeah, middle. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Can I kind of move to intercept him at this point? Yes, you okay. see him acting kind of strangely. Go ahead and describe your character. Sure. Uh, my character is a doar, uh, who are adorable little penguin people. Uh, so they are uh, approximately the same kind of a uh, little bigger than a penguin. Uh, he's almost four feet tall, uh, and he's got uh, white uh, bands around his eyes that then kind of travel to his white stomach. Uh, but for the most part, he's kind of like your your tuxedo penguin that you might see. Uh, the only difference is that he's got tiny little brown sort of khaki pants on uh, that are more like shorts on his small stature and purple suspenders that go over uh, his shoulders uh, to hold them up uh, and a little tiny bow tie as well. Um, so he's, uh, he's, he's, it looks like he's trying to be a real person. <laughs> uh, so, um, but I see this guy and I think um, my character kind of rolls his eyes and walks over to him and kind of like, puts his flapper like, hey, hey, you know, the the sort of come here motion, because I'm clearly much smaller than this this human is. Yeah, Marco, you see this small penguin person approach you, and when he does, the cube kind of vibrates even more. It's still faint, but it, it seems to respond to his closer proximity. So I am going to follow the penguin person as he, as the Dohar, as he places his lovely flipper to be like, come here, come here. Come here, come here, son, son, come here. Now, listen, this is your first time on a a cargo ship like this with, I don't know, I'd say about 35 other passengers on it. Is that right? Did I get that right, son? Yes, I do believe that is the case. Now, you know how I can tell that, son? Because what you have there looks like some sort of magic item, and you're waving it around in full view of everybody, that orc over there, this ogre over here. Now, let me tell you how much they would love to tear your head off for just a sniff of that magic item you got in your hand. Now, if you're going to be on a ship like this, you got to be a little more careful. Now, I could take you under my flap. It's not difficult, but, you know, I, I, I just... I just like to know what it is. I don't want to touch it or take it or anything. What you got there? Marco is is listening to this and he's actually like he's kind of like angling the cube a little bit closer to my Dohar friend here. Is it getting stronger? A little bit. So, he's now kind of inquisitive like looking over it. He's kind of like half paying attention to the Dohar. Well, um I appreciate the advice very much so. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it is either. Uh, Now you're walking around, waving around this, Matt. Okay, all right. We got a lot of work to do on you here. First things first. Here, let me... I'll I'll put it in my rucksack. Now, I know all these people. They know not to mess with me. What's your name? Very quickly, Marco is going to put it back into his pocket and go, Excuse me, I'm uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be holding on to of, this. Of course, that's fine too. I was just looking out for you, friend. What is well, your name? I appreciate it. My name's Marco. Marco, Marco Astorio. All right, all right. Well, Marco, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckbeak, Luckbeak Humboldt. Uh, now, now listen, what brings you aboard this ship? Oh, well, you see, I'm an archaeologist and a scholar. I've been... Traveling to the far reaches of, you know, crotch space, learning everything that I can. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, you're, you're a groundling. 
Uh, yes, oh. yes, I, I am. Good God, you were born yesterday, kid! Oh, okay, alright, alright. So we got a groundling, magic item doesn't know what it does, exploring crot space for the first time. Boy, you are just a mark, aren't you? You stick with Luckbeak here, I will show you the ropes. Now, you stay away from that one, right over there. Uh, I'm going to point to the, the half-orc. Um, the half-orc has now, since you've moved, slumped over and is now laying kind of in a fetal position in the space you were in. Mm-hmm. You have now lost the spot you were sitting in. Now he- uh, and he snores very loudly. <laughs> Why don't you come back and join me in my tiny cramped space? I'd be happy to help you out, for sure. By all means. So we wander over to uh, to his little area there. Yeah, it's not far. Marco was sitting like one person away from you anyway, and that person kind of like a a gnomish woman, and she scoots over as you position yourself back. You can find a barrel to sit on next to where Marco was sitting. Oh, fantastic. And Fiona, you see these two have this conversation like basically right in front of you. and, And then kind of settle back into where Marco was originally sitting. Still not far, like eight or ten feet away, just like kind of across the hold. Now, let me take some stabs in the dark. You had a a grandfather who died and left you a, a bunch of treasure. Is that is that how this worked out? Partially, I've been investigating on my own planet and, and found these items. Uh, my grandfather was a great influence to me, though. He did give me a lot of inspiration, so... <laughs> Half right. I, 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 all right, all right. Good, good life story. Now, I, I, I just wondered what the origin of that little thing was. Does it always glow like that? Uh, no, actually. This is the first time that it's ever done this, so hence my unbridled enthusiasm to learn more about it. And it's not glowing. It's, well, interesting point of order. Your crystal around your neck is glowing, but that's been doing that since you guys entered the phlogiston. So you do see this faint orange glow coming from the folds of his overcoat, but the cube itself is not glowing. It's just kind of vibrating with a certain resonance that seems to get faintly stronger the closer you get it to this doar. And it seemed to react to the Githyanki across the way as well. Um, so I'm going to say to Luckbeak, so since I've been in here, I haven't actually, it's, it's never done this before, but it seems to grow stronger with you and with her pointing over to the Githyanki. Fiona, you see them point at you, but you can't quite make out what they're saying. She is going to stand up and uh, put a hand on the club that's hanging from her belt and go over them and be like, Excuse me, is there a problem here? What are you doing? What is that thing you keep pulling out? Oh, oh, okay, all right. Now, now, now listen. Uh, uh, Marco, uh, 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 this is, uh, you're, you're Ravnus, right? Yes, hey, I, I, and you are. I, now, now, my name is Luckbeak. Uh, I've heard the other passengers referring to you in passing. Now, now, we, we don't mean you any harm, do we, Marco? Um. Okay, Marco, the correct response when someone says we don't mean you any harm is no. Because any <laughs> other response is gonna get the shit kicked out of you. You understand me, son? So... Marco's gonna look at, um, because uh, he was kind of like looking at the cube, looking back, like kind of like not really sure what to say. And now he's looks, he's like, oh no, 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 um, we 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 mean you no harm. I'm 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 sorry. Uh, it's just this this item seems to be really vibrating whenever it's close to you two. Uh, now that it's near uh, all three of us, Nick, what uh, what is it? Is it is it uh, stronger now before vibrating than it was? It, it is when Ravnus walks up. It does seem to glow. And you can kind of see that there almost seems to be the faintest of like a blue glow in it now. 
assuming Marco is holding it out. Are you still holding it out, Marco? I am between the three of us. Right. Now, Ravnus, you can see this thing and it looks vaguely like you might know its origins. Go ahead and make me a Arcana check with advantage. Arcana check with advantage. That is a 17. Nice. Yeah, you're not quite sure what this item is specifically, but it seems to be made of a similar material that you have seen illithid artifacts made from when you were learning about such things at your hatching colony. She looks at Marco and she's like, are you working with the Mind Flayers? What is this? With the, the Mind Flayers? I, no, of course not. I'm just a scholar. I found this. Where did you find it? On Toral? Well, I don't want anything to do with illithids, so I don't know what you're doing to make this glow, what you're trying to lead me into, but I don't want anything to do with it. Well, well, well no, no, like, I, I, I mean you no, no harm or ill will, it's- Good, good. It, thank you, Luckby. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I, I don't know what's going on here, I, f- I found this on one of my digs. So can you tell me more about it? You seem to at least know enough to know that it might be dangerous. I would like to know if something's dangerous in my pockets. Luckbeak and Ravnus, go ahead and both make me Arcana checks. Oh boy, dice rolling. Ooh, that's worse. That's a nine. 14 for me. So, okay. Yeah, Ravnus, you're not quite sure. You just don't have quite the information to piece everything together. But Luckbeak, you do kind of start to think you might understand what's going on because... You know what illithids are, but you know that they were once far more prevalent than they are now. But you know that they are psionic and they, they feed mm-hmm. on the brains and like psionic energy of creatures. Mm-hmm. You actually know that the Githyanki are a result of their enslavement tens of thousands of years ago. But you also know that the Githyanki and Gith in general have psionic abilities. And so do Doar, because Doar have a racial telepathy. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think that this item might be responding to the presence of creatures with psionic abilities. Are there any other creatures with psionic abilities down here in the hold? You and this Githyanki. That's it. Okay. That's it. Uh, Okay. Um, As far as you know. Sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say, now, now hold on. Now what, son, what are you? Are you a wizard? Are you some sort of sorcerer? I mean, what do you do besides archaeology? Uh, uh, yes, I'm actually a wizard. Now, um, I could tell by the look on your face. Now, what we have here, young wizard, is this cube is responding to some sort of psychic connection. Now, now you understand, our friend here, Ravnus, is a Gith Yankee, and I am a Dewar, and, and between the two of us, the psychic connection is uh, truly something to be admired. And, 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 and maybe I can I can speak to this cube. Hold on, let me try to send a message to this cube. Uh, I'm going to try to think at the cube. Hello, <laughs> Mark. Go ahead and make an Arcana check. Okay. Marco is skeptical, but he's he's actually going to hand the cube over to Luckbeak. He, oh. he trusts him enough not to run away with oh, it. Boy, not not many places to run. Fifteen. Fifteen. All right. You concentrate really closely mm-hmm. on this cube. You formulate the thought, hello. <laughs> and as you intently watch the cube, nothing happens. Huh. Now have you, I'm going to turn it around. Do you like, have you ever shaken it? Does it come up with like little messages sometimes or? <laughs> I, I it generates haven't. a number one through six. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have, in fact, shaken it a few times, actually. Um, nothing really came about it. I tried a lot of different methods, but yeah, nothing, nothing to that effect. Hmm. Well, I am confident that what you have here, son, is exactly a party favor. Now, what this can do is it can sense people with psychic ability, and that's the ball game. Uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if you're gonna keep it around. Uh, I can dispose of it for you, but it does not look like it does much else. Um, I would like to hold on to it just for now. And that's fair. That's the second time you've said that to me, and two no's (laughs) means no, I understand. That's fine. Uh, at that point, you notice that there's a fourth presence that seems to have kind of, like, sidled up to this conversation. And as you look, looming over top of your head, Luckbeak, is this tabaxi woman. And she goes... What are you all looking at? This guy's trying to swindle this other guy who (laughs) came across some sort of illithid stuff. I'm not super interested in it. Illithid, you say? And she she looks at you, Marco, expectantly. Looks back at her and says, uh, yes, illithid. You you kind of see her her eyes dilate and like, may I see see it? I I just love interesting things. I I like to find all the interesting things that I can, can... I just want to look. Now, see, this is what I was talking about. You got to put that thing away or else everybody's going to have their peepers on it. (laughs) When you say that, Luckbeak, she looks down at you and goes, Aren't you the cutest? Just a tiny little penguin. No, ma'am, I I demand respect. She kind of like sits down next to you and puts her arm around you. And she goes, you you are Doar, yes? I've always wondered. You are uh, avian, but you have come from aquatic background. Do you taste like fish or do you taste like bird? Now, excuse me, young lady. She licks the side of your face and goes, oh. Oh, You taste like neither. I don't like it. And she kind of palms your face and pushes you away and goes, I'm bored now. Do you have the cube? I want to look at the cube. <laughs> Well, that was just disrespectful what you did to him. I don't understand. I trust the bird more than I trust you. You shouldn't trust the bird. <laughs> she she kind of says, you don't trust me? But 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 I am the most trustworthy person here. I, I'm sorry, I should have introduced myself. My name is Silence of Starlight. Many people just call me Silence, but my friends call me Starlight. And she bats her eyes at you guys. So, um... Silence. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, 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 no. Please call me Starlight. Starlight. Oh. All right. Um, so I appreciate your time, but for right now, I would like to just kind of sit with my new friends here. We're not friends. He kind of looks at Ravnus and just is like, come on, man. <laughs> are, are you saying you do not enjoy my company? I'm saying that you give off a very threatening aura. Threatening? Very rude of you. Ah, fine. I can see when I am not wanted. Braddock, these people over here are being rude to me. And you see that the human in the plate mail kind of chuckles to himself and stands up and starts walking over. And she kind of like heads back to him and kind of like follows back over in his wake. Excuse me, friends, as he walks up. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Sir Braddock Forthright. And it comes to my attention you were rude to my friend, and that's not very nice. Now, listen, did you two meet when she licked you? Were you pleased by that interaction? (laughs) (laughs) Why, that is just how she greets everyone. From what I understand, it is tabaxi custom. At least that's what she tells me. Hmm. 
Well, everybody seems to be great friends. You coming over with your friends. How are you? My name is Ding Dong the whatever. Now listen, we're not all friends here. She was rude to us, so we were rude back to her. Now, if you will leave my buddies and I alone, we're trying to have a private conversation. He kind of chuckles. Look around. There's no privacy to be had here. Hmm. Good point. As far as I see it, we're all in this together until we arrive at our destination. Anything you can say amongst your friends, you can say to all of us. And he kind of like looks to the rest of the crowd who have kind of just like looking around like fuck off guy. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to notice that or care. <laughs> hmm. Um. Nick, who is, who's guarding the upper deck? So the cargo hold you're in is on the very aft end of the ship, mm. on the lower deck. The The fore end of this hold are double doors that go to more like cabins and stuff on the lower deck. And that's where there are access to the top deck. But there is a cargo hold door in the ceiling. But that is now closed. And there's nobody guarding down here. In fact, you haven't seen any crew members of the ship since the incident with the wizard. Like, they basically lock the double doors, lock you in here, and they throw a bag of food in once a day through the cargo hold trap door in the ceiling. Got it. But we know those double doors are locked. Yes. So, hmm. So by all means, continue your conversation. All right. Listen, uh, Marco, I, I, I truly think that, that we should perhaps, I, unless you want that thing stolen, we should table this for now. We only got 12 days left. And, and after that, you can figure out what it is. Um, have you ever been around any sort of a, a creature with psychic abilities before? I would say that I probably haven't then, if that was the case. Hmm. If you're going to meet an Illithid, you don't want to do it with this group. They're so, all going to betray you and try to save their own skins. Hey, now, Ravnus, I have a nit to pick with you. I'm not trying to swindle our friend, as you said before I was licked. I am trying to help him. You do not know. I am a a, a nice person. I am, that might be the first time I've ever said that, but I am. Because I don't like to brag about myself. But I, I'm just trying to... I'm not a swindler, okay? Just I just want to get that out in the open so that we can all be... We can Make all be better friends here. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's a 19. Okay. You can make an insight check, Ravnus. All Marco right. too, I guess. That is a nineteen. Mm. Ooh, meets beats. Yeah, you you <laughs> think he's he's done uh, at least a swindle in his lifetime. <laughs> I am unmoved yeah. by his words. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I have rolled an eleven. Yeah, no, he's being totally honest. Feels like it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you always knew. <laughs> uh, having seen that the conversation has kind of died down, Sir Braddock is going to kind of say, "Well then." I would at least advise you not to be rude to my companion. And I'll leave you be for now. And he turns, and that's when you see Ravnus. On his back is a greatsword. But specifically, it is the unmistakable, like, make of a silver Githyanki greatsword. Hey. Stress topping. Where do you get that sword? Why, I found it. I earned it, in fact, in battle. You earned it. Of course. What happened? Give me details. Why... It was an epic fray. We were ambushed by Githyanki raiders. They poised to take what was in our hold, and I and I alone valiantly stood my ground upon the deck. 
slaying the raiders, and I took this blade from the cold grasp of one of them as a trophy and a you reminder. You slayed a ship of Githyanki pirates by yourself. Well, I wasn't totally alone, but I would say that I was the point of the spear, as they might say. And you're down here with all of us? Why, yes, I'm joining the Salvagers Guild to bring my awesomeness to crot space <laughs> to fight the evil monsters and discover what secrets lie on those abandoned worlds and he kind yeah, of like strikes right. a pose sure okay go back to your friend i guess he kind of nods satisfied with this reaction and he kind of like turns and walks back over and he and his tabaxi friend meet up with their gnome friend who just kind of stayed lingering back in the, the shadows. She sits down with her new buddies, Luckbeak and Marco, and she goes, all right, I want his sword. I want to meet whatever made that cube thing, but I want to meet it in a situation where we're not all going to die. So what's the plan here? Well, um, I was even just sitting here thinking it might be better if the three of us work together for at least the time being. It seems that we all have talents that could be used for a variety of different methods. Yeah, I, I kind of look over at silence and and kind of very quickly sum up the fact that she has made friends with the most, probably the strongest people in here. And I say, yeah, yeah, let's let's be friends. I think we all have our own individual talents that we could use. Yeah, when you look over at Silence, she's looking back and she winks. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, does that woman make anybody else uncomfortable, by the way? Yes, yes, she does. Uh, very much so. Okay, it's not just me, then. As you guys are kind of sitting there, you hear a creak of wood above and the hold doors in the ceiling open and a sack just gets tossed in. And you know that another day must have passed. It's really hard to keep track of time, but this is the daily rations. And you know this always causes just a little bit of chaos because they throw in only the exact amount of rations that are needed. And there is an ogre in the corner who they have only allotted <laughs> one ration per individual. So things have gotten a little tense over the last few days. So when this bag gets thrown in, there's kind of like a quick clambering to get into it and grab what they can. Ravness is in that clamoring. She immediately abandons the group and goes and tries to grab something. Go ahead for and just herself. make a, uh, a a dexterity check, or anybody that wants to go. Yep. May I was going to oh, ask Nick. Motherfuck. Um, can I cast invisibility and sneak into it to get like some food for me and my friends? Uh, yes, you may. All right, I do that. So I cast invisibility on myself. So right as distance. Just so I make sure that nobody else is, like, watching. They're all doing the scrum. And then... So, you're invisible, but you still kind of have to get into this huddle of people who have now converged on this bag of food. So, you'll have to make a dexterity check as well. And it's going to be difficult to get in there without bumping into people. Oh, so that's going to be a 17. 17? Oh, yeah, deftly. You kind of get in there. And in the fray, a couple rations, we'll say probably four rations, get kind of like knocked to the side and you can like scoop them up pretty easily without anybody noticing. Ravnus, what did you get? I got a four total with a natural one. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you go to jump in and Silence actually beats you to it and leaps and puts her back paw on your face and it pushes you away from the fray and she like pushes off you into it and grabs some rations and heads back over to her group. I'm Kind gonna, of like knocking you onto your heels. I'm going to try to mage hands a ration. Okay. You can, uh, yeah, you can do it. It's pretty easy. Luckbeak, what did you get? I get a non-natural 20. Yeah, you get in there. You could probably grab three rations real quick. I do. Scoot out of there as you kind of like duck between people's legs and, and get in. And that's how we stole eight rations accidentally. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, you get back. When you guys kind of like get back to your spots and kind of like share your loot, you see the Warforged. However, you know that they go by forged throughout the known spheres. A big, burly, wide-shouldered robot person, basically, kind of wading his way through the people to bend over and pick up some rations. So you just pull, Ravnus, you just pull the one you've made hand back into your hand? Yeah. Do you pocket it or anything, or you just take it back to where you guys were, were sitting? No, I kind of like put it in my pocket, keep a hand okay. on the pocket, go back to where we're sitting. Got it. Alrighty then. So just FYI, yeah. I've been uh, I've been collecting rations, and uh, I, I'm so small, I think I can just squeeze in and squeeze out and get at least one or two. Uh, I eat mm -hmm. half because I'm only that big, and the other rations mm -hmm. I sell to people, um, claiming that, oh, I only ate half my ration, I still have this much left over, when in reality it's uh, that much ration that, uh, that I just basically stole from the pile. So I'm running a game here as well, I think. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> so I'm also out of my four rations. I'm going to give one to Ravnus and one to Luckbeak as a sign of good faith. Oh, Ra Ravnus takes the one from uh, Marco and leaves the one in her pocket and just lets it be. <laughs> exact same. So Marco, when you go to kind of distribute your rations, you notice that maybe you didn't grab as many as you thought you did, but one is missing. Hmm. And you realize this shortly after you notice that, like, teenage boy kind of brush past you and go back to where he was sitting. So, um, can I make an insider investigation check to kind of put two and two together, or have I already done uh, that? No, with your passive 13 insight, you can kind of put two and two together. You didn't notice it happen, but you have a theory. I am going to check the rest of my pockets. Uh, yeah, everything's there. It seems okay. to have just been a ration that was taken. Hmm. Well, I still have my one ration, so... Go ahead and make a perception check as you just kind of eye this person as he walks away. All right. Three. So, 18. Yeah. So, he goes back to where he was sitting. He was sitting on a barrel kind of position, kind of in the middle, hold not far from where this tussle over the food happened. And as he sits down, he doesn't eat the ration. He, he like, kind of sleight of hands it down and pushes it through a crack in the barrel. I'm going to approach this this teenager. Uh, you do it. He looks probably like a 12 or 13 year old boy. So I'm just going to ask like quiet as quietly as I can just to whisper to him. Just, you know, what's in the barrel? I don't know. Apples? You seem to be feeding rations to those apples. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I know for a fact that one of my rations is missing and your hand slid a little bit of rations into that barrel. I don't know about the barrel, but you missing a ration sounds like a you problem. <laughs> Being up this close to this person, your insight, you you could see that he looks real rough, kind of tattered clothes that don't fit quite right. Looks like he's given himself a haircut, probably just with like a dagger, just kind of cutting it. So like the hair is short, but uneven. And standing here having this quiet conversation, you're pretty sure you're pretty sure it's a girl. 
who's making a point to look like a boy. Now I'm starting to wonder if I should even continue to pry, because what do I gain out of this? May I make, like, a perception check on the barrel to see if it's breathing? Uh, yeah, go ahead. If I hear anything from it, 18 again. You don't hear breathing, but you hear some crunching. Well, it sounds like those apples are doing a fantastic job of crunching themselves. She she doesn't say anything. Just so you know, I'm going to come back to my friends, just say, you know, once again, very when, quietly. When you, when you turn to walk away, she goes, hey. Turns back. Don't tell anybody. He's my little brother. He was too young to come. They don't know he's here. I guess because Marco is a sweet person, he is going to take the one half of his rations and split it and give it to the girl. She she kind of takes it and she goes, um, th- thank you. Marco is going to walk away. You can't, you know, bring too much attention to them. As you walk away, you hear like the deep, like kind of moaning voice of the ogre. It's not enough. I'm still hungry. And then you hear the orc go, it'll have to do. It's fine. My legs are cramped. And as this ogre is not enjoying his current situation. Um, can I walk up to the ogre? Sure. Oh, gentlemen, it is truly a hellhole down here, is it not? Hey, bird, piss off. And he kind of like tries to like knee you away well, with now, like one now. of his cramps. Okay, <laughs> I'm only trying to help. I pull out like uh, a full ration from my, my uh, sack. And I say, why? Well, I mean, what I got here seems to be two half rations or one half for each of you. I mean, oh, oh I mean, I wouldn't ask anything but, but friendship from you two. <laughs> Make a persuasion check with disadvantage. Okay. For one so, very specific reason that I'll probably reveal sure, in a second. Sure, 16. With disadvantage? Damn. Yep. <laughs> the other one was a 25. My, disadva- or my persuasion is plus 8. <laughs> I, I forgot charisma out the ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the orc who's sitting there goes, leave the rations and go. And the ogre says, you'd make a better snack than those. Wow. Well, hey, listen. What I'm trying to do right here is give you guys a... A regular supply ration. But here you go. Here's one and done. So enjoy. If you don't want to be my friend, that ain't my problem. Fine. See y'all you later. talk too many words. <laughs> that, that is uh, not the first time I've been told. That. All right. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. So as you're heading back, you see that a confrontation seems to have happened in the, as the crowd is dissipating over the food, this Warforged is standing there. And you can actually see that his broad shouldered, he's like standing up now and he's missing his lower jaw. It's just gone. And you see that Sir Braddock has walked up to him. And he goes, Now, sir, surely you don't need those rations. You could leave them for the rest of us. And this forged is... He he doesn't seem to be able to speak. He's missing his lower jaw. And he's kind of just, like, gesturing. And Sir Braddock doesn't seem to understand nor care what he's trying to say. And he kind of puts his hand on his hilt and goes, Now, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave those rations for those that really need it. If you hand them over to me, I will see that they are distributed accordingly. And the Warforged seems to be gesturing to the aft of the ship, but not obviously can't say anything. And we all hear and see this. Yeah, you see it kind of happening in the center of the hold. Is he making any noise? Like Not really. It's just kind of like the mechanical creaking sounds of his movements, right. but he's not making any sort of sound at all. He doesn't appear to have the ability. Ravnus is going to quickly finish up her ration or eat as much of it as she can mm-hmm. and like pocket it and mm-hmm. kind of like 
mosey on over, hand on her long sword. See what okay, he's you, up you to. Okay, you kind of like walk up and he's like, Now, sir, I'm sure you mean the best, but those rations will do you no good. You have no need of them. You're a machine. And the forge seems to get angry at this, but is still like trying to communicate something. And that's just going over Sir Braddock's head, which you're pretty sure happens often. He doesn't seem like the brightest bulb. She's gonna... Okay, so she's gonna, like, gesture to the Warforged and, you know, look at Braddock and be like, he's trying to talk to you. Just listen to him. See what he's doing. The Warforged kind of, like, points towards the back of the hold, and you can see that there's, like, cargo piled up back there, but there's still space, and there's, like, plenty of people milling about everywhere, and he's kind of gesturing back there, and he's, like, kind of holding the rations and then pointing back in that direction. And uh, Sir Braddock says... I really don't care what he's trying to say. He's trying to take rations he does not need. Well, surely someone as honorable as I can assure that they get to those that need them. Honorable. You and your friends already have rations. Why are you concerned about what he's doing? My companions have not received rations yet. No, I saw your friends take a bunch of rations. So yes, <laughs> you got yours. Get out. Uh, just, just leave him alone. Let him do his thing. Well, I'm afraid I can't let him do that. He doesn't need the rations. Hey, Nick, may I ask a question? You may. If, let's say, a jaw somehow appeared on this cr creature's face, could the creature talk? Uh, maybe? What kind of jaw? <laughs> yeah. Because I have minor conjuration for an object that could be three feet long, ten pounds. I'm going to say no because it's going to be too complex that's fair. You're not sure how it would, like, attach. You're not, like, sure what the mechanisms need to be shaped to properly attach. And you're not sure if just the presence of the jaw is all he would need to speak. Because it's like his jaw is missing, but he's also sustained damage to his chest plate and neck and face. Like, this is, seemed like a pretty battle-worn forged. That's so, fair. Yeah, you're, you're not... I like where your head's at, but I, I, I think that might be a little, a little bit of a stretch for that stuff. Continue, though. So. She looks at Braddock and she goes, you seem to be in a lot of people's business here. I'm just looking out for everyone on this ship equally. Yeah, looking out so that you can steal their stories and their artifacts and claim the glory for yourself. I always say survival of the fittest, but I would challenge you to find anyone on this vessel more fit than I. He kind of flashes a smile at you. She she rolls her eyes at this. <laughs> 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 and actually at that point the ogre that's sitting on the other side of the room goes hey keep it down over there i don't need a headache too he seems to just getting more and more agitated she glares back at bradrick and kind of quieter she says that's not what a crew is if we're going to survive this we need to work together and you're not making that easy by making enemies with everyone except your cat friend i'm not friend. making any any enemies with anyone if anything people are making enemies with me that's still your fault, though. You can at least keep your head down. Why, I have nothing to keep my head down about. I am here to join the Salvagers Guild like all of you. It is not my fault I am more naturally adept at excelling. What's the point of being strong on a ship with a crew like this if you're not going to have each other's back? This is not my crew. I'm a passenger here with the rest of you. But I do intend to join the Salvagers Guild. My skills will be of quite great use there. She's going to try to intimidate him. Oh, and you also notice that Braddock has not lowered his voice. 
he is continuing to be just as boisterous as ever. She's going to try to intimidate him and say, It sounds like you got lucky with the Gith Yankee once. Do you want to test it if you can do it again? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Make an intimidation check. Oh, no. And actually, as you guys are all watching this kind of routine, you see that there's a, a figure who's been here, uh, but kind of kept to herself, this uh, dark-skinned half-elf with a long, like, dark leather overcoat with, like, kind of dark auburn hair is kind of sitting to herself, cross-armed, kind of observing this whole situation from one of the corners of the hold. What did you get? I got a seven. <laughs> a seven. <laughs> At that, he scoffs and he says, <laughs> Perhaps you should see exactly the feats that I did to earn this sword. And he draws it. Oh, shoot. She's going to draw her sword as well. With that, the ogre says, I said bloody keep it down. And he actually starts standing and I need everybody to roll for initiative. Noise. Oh, I was about to look at, at Luckbeak and be like, what do we want to do here, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you yeah. what you're going to do. You're going to roll motherfucking initiative. Yeah. <laughs> Projectderailed.com